Philippa Tolley and this insight explores the government's planned social bonds. Three years ago, the government agreed to try out social bonds as a new way of paying for social services, getting investors to pay for them instead of the taxpayers. The funding model is totally untested in New Zealand, but has been gaining traction since the first one launched in Britain in 2010, with the United States, Australia, South America, Holland and Belgium, among others, all using social bonds. But some believe that while there's been a lot of hype around the funding, it could have major unintended consequences. Social bonds are being touted by the government as a way to reduce its exposure to funding for services which don't work and to put greater focus on achieving outcomes that will improve people's lives. This is how the Finance Minister, Bill English, describes them. It's a way of paying for results and finding people who can help us get those or achieve those results most effectively. A social bond means that instead of public money being used to fund a social service, private investors pay providers to deliver it. A set of outcomes are agreed by the government, provider and the investor, and if those outcomes are achieved, the government pays the investor a return. There's also an intermediary involved which manages the financial side of the deal, and an independent assessor decides whether the results have been reached. Because of the nature of the bonds, they only work for certain types of services that can deliver tangible outcomes, like reducing reoffending and homelessness and improving the outcomes for children in care. And in the case of the New Zealand bond, which is about to be tested, getting people with mental health problems into work. It's not-for-profit groups who already contract with governments that are most likely to take up the funding experiment. Leo McIntyre, a mental health worker at Vincent's Art Workshop in Wellington, has reservations. There's a risk that we could end up dismantling a set of services that are already functioning pretty well and getting really good outcomes in favour of experimenting with a new approach to the same type of services that may or may not be successful. I'm Kate Gudsell, and this insight investigates whether social bonds will be a shot in the arm or a risky experiment for social services. OK, so this is the main kind of art workshop space where um, people come in and, as I said before, anyone's welcome to come and just, just explore whatever they want to do in terms of art. They hold workshops in Leo McIntyre is showing me around the Vincent's Art Workshop in Wellington. It was set up in 1985 when psychiatric institutions were being closed down. The idea was to give people with poor mental health or intellectual disabilities a place to go, where they could get art and craft, materials, tuition and support from the community. He's a peer advocate here, and before this he worked for another service, which helps people with mental health problems to get into work. Nearly $29 million was put aside in last year's budget, to launch four social bond programs, the first of which is all about mental health and work. Mr McIntyre's experience is also pertinent to this story because he's had his own struggles. In the 1990s, he worked as a videographer for the Police National Video Unit, where he encountered forensic video material which he found disturbing. And at the time, there was no psychological support. So as a 22-year-old, I found it a bit difficult to manage some of the things that I was repeatedly seeing. 
And uh, I ended up leaving that job with post-traumatic stress disorder from the level of exposure that I'd had to that material over that time. So that was after about um, just over 18 months of working there. And it took me some time to recover from that and I've had a couple of relapses of mental health problems since that time, probably the last time being in about 2003. He explains why working is so important for people who may be having a crisis. The turning point for me was actually the day that I first started working in mental health. It was on a day where things personally had fallen apart for me really badly. I'd just been informed that morning that my flatmates were asking me to leave the flat because I wasn't in a well enough state to be living with other people in their opinion. And I went to this job interview and was asked, you know, told the story of where things were at for me and the person that I was being interviewed by said, well that sounds really awful and maybe you need a few days to get things sorted out but do you want the job? And I was so stunned by that response, it really felt amazing to me that someone could hear this story of mental illness and putting that aside, recognise the skills that I had and still be interested in employing me. The plan for the first bond is to put employment consultants in GP practices so that when people with a mental health condition are ready to head back to work, the service is right there for them. The government chose this bond because, in its own words, it presented a solution to a defined problem. I'm here today to talk about social change, not a new therapy or a new intervention or a new way of working with kids or something like that, but a new business model for social change, a new way of tackling the problem. That's Toby Eccles, one of the architects of Social Bonds, delivering his TED talk in 2013. He founded Social Finance, the organisation which has been instrumental in developing and promoting the bonds. He spoke to Insight from London. The Social Impact Bond is designed to solve two to three quite well-known problems in government service provision, if you like. The first is that it's tricky for government to try out new services because they're concerned about value for money and whether they will work or not. So they can sometimes be slightly averse to risk. The second is that a lot of service providers find that the contracts they get specify very carefully what they're meant to do. And they can specify that for a number of years, which means that if during that process you learn that you could be doing something better or different, it's very difficult to change because you've been contractually obligated to do what you are presently doing. So the social impact bond was designed to get at both of those issues, essentially by creating a contract where people only pay for the outcomes that are delivered. And that essentially gets over the government's problem because it means that they're only paying for something when it works. Morning, it's Kate Gutzel here to see Bill English. I went to talk to the Finance Minister about why the government decided to embark on an unproven method. Bill English told Insight a lot of social service funding is delivered in a way that means the government doesn't know if it's had an impact on people's lives. And because social bonds are intended to deliver results, it's a vehicle for working out how public money should be spent. He explains how it might work. The general idea is that both sides have something at risk in order to ensure that the, both parties uh, are incentivised to achieve an outcome. 
because you know there's no point in just shoveling out hundreds of millions, particularly on our most vulnerable, to have no impact on their lives, merely to service the misery, not reduce it, because we want to reduce the misery. So we're working out what is the right balance of what a external provider might put at risk. We don't want to go down a path where it's a huge financial risk to our non-government organisations or a private provider. Marion Blake is the Chief Executive of Platform Trust. It's a national network of community organisations that helps people with their addiction and mental health problems. Its groups offer services like housing and employment, and their work comes mostly through district health boards. She says there's been a lot of discussion about social bonds in the community sector over the last few years, with some organisations seeing it as just a different financial mechanism, while others are worried that the bonds are more about the investors than the people using the social services. But for Ms Blake, it's about getting money out of the system. The client doesn't care less, on, on the whole, where they get their service from. And they don't care whether they're getting it from organisation A or organisation B. They want a job, they want, if, if we're talking about employment, or they want the service that's going to support them. If we're talking about recidivism, it's, it's actually, I want to get my life back on track, I don't want to go back to prison, things. So it's almost like the client's motivation is exactly the same as it always has been. The people that they will interface are with exactly the same people with the same motivation. It's just that uh, the income stream is coming from a different place. And in actual fact, it's coming with as many strings, probably, as it already already does. Some of the criticism being levelled at the funding model is that it's untested and a risky experiment on vulnerable people. Ms Blake believes there's been some mischief-making in the sector and she thinks social bonds should be given a chance. My hope around social investment bonds is that we will be so curious about them, we will be transparent about them, and if that's the sort of behaviour, if we see behaviour that A, is going to exploit people with experience of mental illness, or means that people can't do their job properly, boy, we're going to be over that, because actually our, our role, for instance, at Platform, is to make sure that people who live with mental health issues get a fair deal in the system. So our role is to support the providers who do that work well. We we don't support providers who won't be doing that well. You know, I mean, we're a sector that is kind of like quite strong and united about our purpose, and that's the people that we serve. But then you've also got the hand that feeds you, so do you want to bite that? That's a challenge every day for a community organisation. Every day. All of the community organisations in New Zealand are being fed by the government, and then it's very difficult to be critical of that, but actually people do. As we heard earlier from Leo McIntyre, He's worried there's a risk of dismantling the current services, which are already working well, in favour of bringing in this untested model. That's a big gamble to be taking with people's lives and, and with a, a system of support that has existed for quite a long time and has been honed over the years to become more and more successful in the way that it does its business and is able to identify really clearly what it is that people want to do in terms of work and the kind of work that's sustainable for them. And that's the most important thing, that the work is sustainable, because if you set people up to fail, then that does nothing to help the economy, the person or the services that are provided. Mr McIntyre is also worried about the system being gamed to ensure the private investors do get a return. I think it's 
possible under this type of model that employees of the provider of the service may feel more pressure than they do under the current system to put people into employment that may not be entirely suitable for them. And the reason for that is, is that the payments from government that provide the return for the investor and also for the provider, those payments don't come about unless the outcomes are achieved and the independent assessment of that ensures that it's happening in the right way. So I think that independent assessment of it is going to be crucial to ensure that people who are being employed are not being employed in work that just achieves an outcome for the investor or for the provider, but actually achieves an outcome that's suitable to the person being employed. Yes, so this would be a statement of profit and loss or financial position. I've come to meet with Carolyn Cordery, an associate professor in the School of Accounting and Law at Victoria University. She has a strong interest in charities and not-for-profit organisations and the financial reporting and regulation. She's talking me through what a not-for-profit service provider's financial statements look like. Dr Cordery says the bond introduces another set of demands on providers of social services. I do think that there will be more focus towards the funders, focus towards the investors. The question is too, if I'm an investor for three years and I've already said to you, well, you know, what happens if it takes three and a half to get the person over the line? And you might get me right, but what about other people? You know, how, how can we build a long-term solution when we've only got funding for three years or we've only got a three-year window in which to achieve this. So we might achieve it with one batch of people in three years. Are the innovations going to be so wonderful that then government says, well, actually, we'll fund this as an ongoing programme? Or will they then say, well, actually, that's great, we're finished with recidivism in Waikato now, we're going to move to education in Palmerston North or something. So, you know, that, that programme then abruptly stops. It's always an issue with um, government funding that, you know, programmes are not meant to be there forever. But, yeah, I guess are these bonds the way to, to develop a lifelong answer to these intransigent problems? Dr Cordery says developing what outcomes a bond will achieve is the most difficult part of the model. It comes right at the beginning when the contract is being negotiated. In developing that contract for the bond, you'll work out what those measures are. And I guess we see that in the public sector every year here in New Zealand. Departments go for their you know, they want their budget appropriation and they have to say now what they what they're aiming to achieve and how they're going to measure that. And so this is this is the same situation. We want to achieve X, and we're going to measure it in these particular ways. Now, the difficulty is that measurement is more an art than a science. You've got real people who are, who are having these outcomes done to them. Toby Eccles says when his organisation, Social Finance, looked at these type of payment for results models, gaming did have to be considered carefully. With the social impact bonds so far, they have got investors engaged who are genuinely focused on the social value that they're aiming at. And therefore, the idea of gaming the system, they would essentially be gaming themselves because they're also you know, mission-driven entities. We've also found that most of those involved are also interested in demonstrating to government that the service is effective. And so gaming the system, again, would get in the way of that. So 
We haven't found it to be an issue so far in social impact bonds, but I think one has to be very careful about how one develops them and thinks about the measurement. The other side of the coin is about how the groups running the social services are assessed. The New Zealand Initiative is a business-aligned think tank. Its senior fellow, Bryce Wilkinson, was one of the authors of a report released last year on social bonds. He says that under the bond, typically the group which receives the service will be measured against a control group, which has the same condition, but isn't getting the service. And Dr Wilkinson says it's assessed by an entity that's independent of the provider and funder. Typically an academic group or a statistical group which is competent to assess whether or not any differences are statistically significant and, and material. The integrity of that group is important because government has to agree to pay out on that group's deliverance and the, the people putting up the money and, and providing and financing the service have to be confident in, the, in that uh, independent assessor because they only get paid out if that assessor recommends that they're paid out. And so that example il- illustrates the complexity of these arrangements. But here's the kicker to social bonds. The model is reliant on the government finding a private investor for the money. Mr English is confident there will be those willing to take the risk. I don't think there'll be a shortage of money if the uh, parameters are clear. Particularly in this world of very low interest rates, there is plenty of investment cash around which is looking for a better return and willing to look at types of investment that they weren't in the past just because the alternative is very low interest rates very low returns. The challenge here is government being clear about what it wants and structuring structuring the bond in a way that is reasonably attractive. Now there's, there's no guarantee we would carry them through, carry any particular bond through because if the private investor wants a big return with no risk, well we're not going to do that. So this is what we're learning at the moment is how to get the balance right that is, get the other party with some skin in the game that's going to incentivise the um, achievement of changing lives. Talking about guarantees, I mean, would the government guarantee to limit the loss or would they guarantee them a, a certain amount of return? Well, those are all parameters that are you know, subject to negotiation. We don't want to overpay. We don't want to simply be handing money to someone else without pressure on them to perform or take some risk. But we're doing that in a context where the conversations around the social bonds are much more comprehensive and mature than the conversations we have around normal contracting. Harbour Asset Management manages over $2 billion of New Zealand and Australian equities and fixed interests. Its portfolio manager, Mark Brown, says the company has had a preliminary look at the bond being proposed by the government. When we look at investing in a bond, if it's got a credit rating, then a lot of that credit assessment is done for us, and we partly rely on that, but also want to complement it with our own work. But if a bond's not rated at all, which is the case for the social bonds that we've seen here um, proposed so far, then we can do our own assessment and determine whether we think they'd make investment grade or not. We can only buy them if we think they're going to get there. And on the preliminary look that we had in the social bonds, um, these particular ones didn't look like they'd get there. In New Zealand, where the social investment market is much more immature than that of the UK, 
Mr. Brown says it remains to be seen whether social bonds will fit the objectives of professional wholesale investors. Our role is sort of to represent sort of all clients, and so were we to look at making investments that we thought ended up being more like a donation, a highly risky donation, then I'm not sure that we've got the mandate for doing that. And so what we've got is some very clear rules about what type of things we can invest in, and those rules were drawn up before social bonds came along, uh, and so now we have to interpret those rules to see whether they look like they'd be eligible or not. But the main point really is that um, we want to be investing in reasonably high quality bonds for our clients where we have this high confidence about getting our coupons and money back in maturity. Toby Eccles says to date, only philanthropists have come forward to put money into social bonds in the UK and fully commercial investors are yet to commit. But some private banks in the US have started to sell these bonds to their richer clients. About 250 organisations are members of Philanthropy New Zealand. Investment in philanthropy sits at more than $2.5 billion a year, according to research conducted by Burl. Philanthropy New Zealand's chief executive, Liz Gibbs, says our organisation has very broad membership. Some parts of the sector in this country have been actively engaged in social investment for over 20 years, so those members are comfortable with the concept of social bonds, while others are not. I asked her if any of her organisation's members had committed funds to New Zealand's first social bond. At this stage, no. We are in dialogue with uh, some of the organisations that have been shortlisted for those bonds, but at this stage, no, I'm not aware of any of our members that are investing. One stumbling block for New Zealand's first social bond appears to be that at the moment it's not clear whether there will be a government guarantee of a return or a guarantee to limit an investor's loss. Toby Eccles says a guarantee hasn't been necessary in more developed social investment markets such as Britain and America, whereas Australia has required more risk-sharing. For example, in the New South Wales NewPin programme, a social bond focused on improving parenting and keeping families together rather than children being put in care, investors' losses have been limited to 50%. Ms Gibbs says some form of guarantee from the government would make a huge difference in building confidence in the market. It wouldn't de-risk it, of course, but it would make it a significantly more attractive proposition because it means that the government is also committed, of course, to, to these initiatives and it's in the government's best interest if, if, if the return on investment reduces liability to the taxpayer, of course. So having some upfront investment from government securing or underwriting part of that risk because this is a new initiative and a new space in New Zealand would make it infinitely easier for more philanthropics and private investors to get on board. Mr English wouldn't rule anything in or out when asked about some form of guarantee. He believes there will be a mix of investor types attracted to the bonds. When asked about the possibility of foreign entities investing in New Zealand social bonds, he says the government won't rule any type of investor out. But what about the effectiveness of the social bonds? There's been criticism that the contracts are complicated and have involved huge transaction costs because of the number of entities and complexities involved. There's also been questions over whether the social bond programmes will be able to be scaled up to larger sized ones. Dan Gregory has worked for the last 10 years in various roles around not-for-profit, social enterprise and the funding and finance of charities in the UK. 
He says social bonds are based on a very alluring idea. But he's worried everyone's got too excited too early. There's lots of reasons why they could be wonderful and there's lots of reasons why they might actually be a completely dreadful idea in the first place. But let's just give them a chance and people who advocate for social impact bonds talk themselves about the need for evidence and and so forth. Well, let's judge them by their own standards then. Let's let's look at the evidence of social impact bonds over time and calmly, carefully look at whether they're achieving the kind of things they claim. It's too early for that. Let's sort of take it a bit more slowly and, and reflect more carefully on that. But yeah, I think the that hype is dangerous. Mr Gregory says what impact the bonds have needs to be evaluated from a provider and taxpayer point of view as well. Actually, if you're a provider, you get a decent amount of money over a long period of time to do the work that you probably want to do. So it's probably quite a good deal for the providers. It's more the, is the taxpayer paying up over the odds and is that money ending up in the pocket of private investors? That would be my primary concern. On the other hand, I do think that the providers have not been as honest and vocal about social impact bonds as they might have been. I think some of the charities involved in some of the delivery of the early impact bonds have quietly got on with doing some good work. They've themselves see some flaws with the models, but they don't really talk about them because actually it suits them to be part of the this new funding mechanism to get funding, to get support, to have ministers talking excitedly about them. And actually they're really well placed to see where these models aren't quite as exciting as they might be. So yeah, I've talked, you know, informally to a few people in charities at the heart of some of the most high profile social impact bonds and they say well actually yeah it's not all that different or or it is different but it's quite tough or and there are pros and cons with it but I, they never really talk about that as openly as they might because because of that surrounding culture of excitement around how wonderful social impact bonds are and how they're going to save us all. Mr Gregory says there's been no serious comparison between the effectiveness of social bonds and traditional funding. We haven't seen anyone say but is it better or more effective than a grant or a conventional public sector contract? Um, because grants sort of sound like they're a bit boring and old-fashioned and social impact bonds sound like they're new and exciting. Actually, we could do some proper thinking about what are the comparative advantages of those models, whereas people are sort of looking at social impact bonds in isolation, describing the model and saying, what a great model. The New Zealand Initiative's Bryce Wilkinson says it's too early to tell and a strong positive conclusion is as premature as a strong negative one. There's a lot of interest and excitement about it and perhaps too much hype, we think, in our report. The difficulties are very real, as we've seen by how long it's taking in New Zealand just to get the pilot programme underway. But when you look, we're looking at the initial outcomes so far in Petersburg and New South Wales at this point, and they are encouraging, but it's early, and the difficulties shouldn't be underestimated. In June last year, the government announced it was in negotiations with Wise Group and ANZ Bank, which would be the financial arranger, not an investor, to be the first partners with the government to put forward the first social bond, employment support through GP clinics. The Ministry of Health's website still says that it expects this bond to be implemented in early 2016. However, nearly a year after the contract was announced, it's still being negotiated. Bill English says it's a complex process, so whether a deal gets closed or not, the government will have learnt a lot that's valuable to the system. I'm Kate Gudsell, and that's Insight for this week. If you have any feedback, you can contact us via email at insight at radionz.co.nz 
or our Twitter handle is at InsightRNZ. I presented that program. It was produced by Teresa Cowie with technical production by Phil Benj.